The topics and themes on our program are generally adult in nature and may contain explicit language. Therefore, these conversations may not be suitable for younger audiences. back. This is season two of the Typed Out Podcast. I am your host, Nick Polifrone. And how about our brand new intro? That is the Typed Out theme song written by the one and the only Mickey Hommel. And that track will soon be available to you in its entirety. Um, but a huge shout out to Mickey for writing that song. It is amazing. And uh Yes, that is me at the beginning, and I apologize. <laughs> but, um, so season two, I am here in Japan, and I've accepted a one-year teaching contract, so I'm at least here for a year, potentially longer. But what I really wanted to do this season was dive into the same topics of race, gender, LGBTQ equality, all of the things that I... Uh, have sort of dove into in the prior season, but now I want to approach them from a different perspective. And that is, what is it like to be typed out in a culture that isn't your own? Um, you know, especially for someone like myself living abroad, but also finding out from nationals what it's like on their end of these issues. So um, talking things again, like race, gender equality, LGBTQ issues, which have not come as far uh, in, in those various arenas as they might have in the States. And sort of just kind of getting that perspective and being on both sides of the conversation and seeing, one, how we could better understand each other always and also see where we can learn from one another. So there'll be a variety of topics, again, that we investigate and I am happy to announce that I will also have a co-host this season who is not with me today, but you will hear from her next week. And I am excited to bring her on to help me navigate many of these conversations. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation, uh, which is our anniversary episode. And this is a conversation that I had with my friend PJ Johnny Jr., and I just think it is 
such a great way to open the season, but also what an incredible and important conversation. So without delaying any more of your time, thank you for being here. And here is my conversation with PJ. Okay, let's get to it. Hi, PJ. How you doing? Hello. I'm, I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm all right. <laughs> I'm making it. Good. Okay. Yes. Are you nervous? Yes. Don't be nervous. Okay. Just because you said don't okay. be nervous. This has been what feels like the longest podcast episode in running history. So joining me today is the one, the only, PJ Johnny Jr. Welcome, PJ. <laughs> Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. So the reason why I say this is the longest running podcast episode is because I actually met you during the early, early stages of Typed Out. Super brand new. Um, you happened to be in a show at the time, which was called As Much As I Can. And a friend of mine, Jason, knew one of your fellow actors in the show. And he was like, hey, my friend is in this show. Would you want to come and check it out? And he sent me the write-up about it. Um, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. So we did. And I'm so thankful that we did. And you were performing in that production. Of course, And yeah. it just cracked my mind wide open in so many ways. And I just saw it as such a necessary piece of theater. And I'm excited to talk a little bit about that but also dive further into who pj is if you are willing to bring us along on your journey we would greatly appreciate it of course you're invited into pj's closet yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> let's crack that closet wide open okay. no more of those right okay so first and most important question what does being typed out mean to you what does typed out mean to me um I was thinking about this for a while and I think about why I do what I do and I think why I'm here and I think I started out maybe for selfish reasons or because I didn't like who I was or who I wanted to be but now I think of the people that are watching me the eyes that are on me not so much in a selfish way but I think about uh, I have like nieces and nephews who might identify or might be questioning who they are, mm. but also know where they come from. And I think typed out to me means I'm setting an example. And I want I don't want to be the person that's like, oh, because PJ did this, I can do that. Yeah. But I really want it to be because, because PJ did this, now I have no excuse. Yeah, That's what typed out means to me, meaning, meaning that you don't have an excuse now. Right. And I mean, more often than not, we can't control how influential we are, right? All we can do is follow the path that we're meant to follow and just hope that it resonates with someone, you know? And it's like influence may happen. It may and it may not. And it may be on a grand scale. And it like thinking of someone along the lines of like Oprah, where it's like you have a vast array of people that are under the umbrella of your influence or it might be something more small and intimate on a on a friend level or a family level as it were so but with that in mind another very important question who is pj hmm who is pj um i don't think i can actually say who pj is i can give you pieces bits pj is a bit abstract and is still growing and still gaining momentum and gaining control over the power that he has i think um well i am a performer i'm an actor and i think that not i think i know that's what got me to new york city 
Um, I'm from Louisiana originally. I went to a historically black college, uh, Gramlin State University. And from there, um, I don't think anyone had gone to graduate school in the time that I'd been there and I'd been a theater major. And even just to jump back into that, I wasn't even a theater major whenever I started. I think I was in radiology because that's what my parents had wanted for me. Hmm. And through me being in radiology classes and these medical terminology classes, I was just uh, really bored. Yeah. And I ended up taking a theater class and as like extra credit and then I took that class and I became a major the next semester. And one of my professors told me that I think the the track that kept playing in my head was my family member. Some certain family member saying you're going to be a starving artist. Mm. And I had a professor who told me that if you're good at what you do, then you always have a job. And so that's what made me want to be a theater major. And I knew that every day I could love. I just knew I, I would get up and I would want to tell somebody's story for free. Yeah. And so why not be paid to do it? Because at the end of the day, those days, if I had gone through and become a radiology tech, yes, I would have a great job, maybe a great career. But on those days that I didn't want to go, my mom wasn't going to get up and go to work for me. Those family members who were telling me, don't be a starving artist, they weren't going to get up and do that job for me. So I had to choose something that I love to do and that I would want to do every day. And yeah. so in answering that question, I think PJ is somebody who chooses his dreams and follows the path no matter what, no matter what, what, what is being told. Follow your heart. Yeah, absolutely. One, I love that professor that was like, if you're good at what you do, you can make money doing it. Mm-hmm. Like there's success in being good at what you do, regardless of what it is. I love that. I think that is so encouraging. Yeah, And it's like, it's not, it's just it it's the simplest bit of advice for someone you know if they want to pursue something that they love and finding how much of their heart belongs to that thing and if they can pursue it to the level that there's real mastery there you will always be able to find work of course yeah and i think that was the thing that kind of motivated me to like i know i love theater and i knew there was one of the places where i didn't have to pretend or i didn't have to like put on this armor when I went out in society or when I was out with my fraternity brothers or whatnot. So it was just, I love doing theater. That's where I found myself. So um, I thank Mr. Norman for that, who's also one of Erica Badu's teachers. Get out uh, of here. Yeah, she went to uh, Gremlin State as well. Too. Really? So I was, we had the same teacher. And he was actually this, the one who told me that if you're good at what you do, you always have a job. And that's what made me go full into theater because I loved it and I wanted to learn everything about it. Yeah. And I think that's what, eventually got me to New York City because I was the first graduate from Gramlin State in maybe 10 years to actually be accepted into a graduate program. Really? Yeah. At wow. the, at whenever I was accepted in 2012 to the New School for Drama. So that's what got me to New York City. Okay. Yes. And how has it been since being here in 2012? Woo! <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> um, it has been a roller coaster ride. Um, and I also think it's been, I think of like a toilet paper roll, hmm. but not like, um, not like a toilet paper, not like, you know, like what would you associate with toilet paper? You explain yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, uh, I think life is about, life is definitely ups and downs, hills and valleys and living in New York, you experience those hills and valleys. Oh my God. Um, but 
uh, I say a toilet paper roll because I think of like a cylinder. I could have maybe said a paper towel roll. Yeah. But a cylinder is like you, if you see a cylinder and like it's going, it's, if, if it's turning, the, you like put a point on the cylinder, it goes around is going up and down but it's still going forward if, it, if that kind of ma- it's like a spiral yeah. it's like a spiral i'm still going forward even through the ups and the downs right so i i see my life living in new york city I, I think i was ghosting through life until i got here and then i think i was on the cylinder on the roller coaster ride and now i'm able i think i can hold on to it now mm. and i know i'm more aware of it that's a beautiful analogy but also like the same thing that made me think of like anticipating how you were going to explain that before you landed the point of like it's always going forward there's always the point going forward i was thinking that with a cylinder that's moving you can never tell which is the top or the bottom like and (laughs) 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 guys get your heads out of the gutter versatility Mm, is the key yes but what i mean is that like even when things are good you don't necessarily know if you're on the top or the bottom, like the the mountain or the valley mm-hmm. of that experience, you know, and vice versa. That just because things are bad doesn't necessarily mean that you're not at the top of things, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean by the top or the bottom. But I love the forward momentum. <laughs> um, that's beautiful. And also, so like it was New York that activated you. It was what really made you kind of come into your own. Yeah, um, it was. Um... I had only ever lived in Louisiana my entire life. So I was basically taking care of myself. Like I was still living in Louisiana. I was I was like, okay, so I'm from I'm from the country. Like I can walk around in the sun all day. Like I got this. <laughs> and I'll see people with like their little water bottles and like the little snacks and checking their Fitbits and I'm just like, okay, y'all y'all on some new <laughs> stuff up here. And I and I think me being in graduate school that was just part of it um, because I I was running so much I was doing so many things that I it, I had really gotten sick and that was one of the factors hmm. that I wasn't um, I had just been ghosting through life just like okay I made it I made it through undergrad doing the same old thing and I made it to graduate school doing the same old thing and now I was in graduate school in New York City doing the same things that I was doing uh not in louisiana and i think that was uh me being sick and having to like take a medical leave from my dream school what had actually got me here and then also being living in a homeless shelter going from being on the top of things quote unquote being at my dream school in new york city um and now i have to take a medical leave from school i'm living in a homeless shelter in jamaica queens i'm unemployed uh, I've never been homeless. I've never been unemployed. You know, I've never yeah. not been in school. And so I think I had to, um, I was living in a fantasy kind of sort of, or I think I was living in the dream, but I wasn't living in the practical. And so I had to start, I had to adjust my, the way I was thinking. And that wasn't all just, I wish I could say, oh, I had the the cognitive ingenuity uh, <laughs> to be like, yes, PJ, you sitting in this homeless shelter and you got to make things happen for yourself. No, I was like, I'm done with this city. Mm. I'm done with this place. Oh, I got accepted to graduate school. That is good enough. Mama, send me a ticket. I'm coming home. And my mama, God bless her. She told me no every single time. Mm. And not because like she didn't have the money or she didn't want 
and it's crazy that I was just we were I was just texting her on the way here and one of the things that she told me was that I was the strongest person that she had ever known because she had ever only lived in Louisiana her entire life that's the like the story of my family on both sides and I was like in in undergrad thinking I'm hot boy whatever and I got on an airplane and I came to New York City and I auditioned for a school and I got here because I believed in myself, you know, so. And I think that was a time where I didn't believe in myself. I was in a very dark space and I think, and this is when you talk about influence. Mm -hmm. So I just knew that I was coming to do what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in New York. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to live this life. And I didn't even know that I was inspiring the people that had raised me. And that... I think that was one of the moments when my mom was telling me no, because if I send you this ticket to come home, I know that you're going to give up on your dream. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was done. I'm sorry. I forgot what the question was. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm one that is so incredibly profound. And like, even though you were in dire straits, Right. Like you said, living in a homeless shelter, unemployed, not in school for the, the literally the first times of all three of those things in your life here in New York City, asking your mom for a ticket to come back. And she says no, not because she doesn't want to help you, but because she believes that you can help yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a gift. Yeah. And like, so when we first finally met in person, mm-hmm which was, what, maybe a month and a half ago, something like that? Yeah, about, yeah, about a month and a half, but yes, yes. Ish. Um, you pulled something out of your wallet that you have, if you wouldn't mind explaining to our listeners what that thing is. Yes. Um, it was the it's basically a little piece of paper that had my name on it in the room um, that I was staying in in the homeless shelter in Jamaica, Queens, and I had to show this paper to the guard so that they could let me in so I can go up to my room. And it was room 916, and on the back of it was another little sticky note that I had gotten from the bank because I was like, I'm trying to get out of here. And the lady, like, she's like, this is how much money you have in your account. And this little yellow sticky note that says $2.36. And I keep it in my wallet, and I think... It has changed the purpose of, since since I showed it to you, I think um, the purpose of that being in my wallet has changed because it is a scar. And I think part of the reason why I would keep it in my wallet is one, I'd be like, because I don't think people would believe me like, oh, I was homeless. Or, but it's like, it was like, it was also like a reminder of you need to do what you need to do so that you don't end up here. And that was like an anxiety-inducing thing within itself, even though it might have been an inspiring moment. And I think through my, I had a conversation with a playwright um, named Nick O from San Francisco, who uh, is the author of Wafrica One Two Three, and we were talking about. And I I pulled out this particular piece of paper and I had showed him this. And I was just telling my story. And he was like, why do you keep that? And I was just like, as a reminder for me not to, um, not to do this again, not to put myself in this situation. And he was like, that's a scar. And he was like, he's like, think about all the scars on your body. He's like, do you see them as like 
as a reminder of like not to do what happened what happened what did you do were you falling were you running with no shoes on and i was like no he was like okay so that's the scar he was like a scar is to show that you healed is to show that you came through and so now i keep it and i have to think about the goodness and how i've been delivered and the things that i've come through and that was one of the things that I had I had to come through and I hadn't thought about it in that way. It was like an anxiety, like don't do this, don't do these things. But I have to start looking at it as like, even now with whatever is going on in my life, even if I'm in the valley or if I'm on the hilltop, no matter where I am in the spiral, I've came through. I have these scars to show that I healed and that I am still here for a purpose. That was exactly the way that I took it when you showed that to me, which was that this was a reminder of what you have survived, mm-hmm. you know? And it's today I happen to be listening to Oprah's Super Soul conversations because I, I love her and the stuff that she puts on there. Yes. And she was talking about like today's theme was when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And there won't ever be a repeat situation. If you have the awareness of knowing where you were before and what you've learned from it, even if you come close, the situation will never be the same because you will do better the next time. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, there's just so much like power and resilience in all of that. And like I could see holding onto it as a, as a scar, as a reminder of something bad, but also I love that Nick O said to you that this is something that you've survived it's not like it's yeah the 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 markings on our body are Mm -hmm. to say that we're still here right it's as trite as it may sound what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and i truly truly believe that so what was the what was the swing out of that hardship in your life like how did you find your way to where you are now which i have to say of the people that i follow who are performers in this city you are constantly working you are always immersing yourself in the theater environment like you're either i'm always like texting you you're like i'm on set i'm at the (laughs) queer national theater i'm doing this i'm doing that i'm going to this audition Mm -hmm. like you are doing it Mm -hmm. and so what was the inspiration what was the drive to get you here to this point first off thank you so much for telling for reaffirming that i guess um do you want to know like trajectory like from where i was or just like what has happened in this past year because i think it's it's all it's all in a spiral yeah i guess um how did you get out of that homeless shelter what was the launching point out of that to getting yourself healed again um i think the launching point to me getting out of the homeless shelter because the way it was they had it set up it was like uh, supposed to be like a three-month program and uh there it there was of course there's community but there would be like Whitney Wednesdays where one person had like a huge speaker and it's like Whitney Houston would play on Wednesdays and then it's like I started to see like the other rooms and it's supposed to be set up like a temporary situation and people were there with like posters and um like it was literally the last stop for some people like they knew that they were not leaving from this place. They had been there for over two years wow. and it was only supposed to be there for three months, a three month program. Um, and it's not, I don't not saying anything was wrong with the program or anything, or, you know, it's just a lack of, or motivation, you know? Um, 
yes, uh, I had taken a medical leave from school. I knew that I was going to be in school in this coming August with a new class. But one of the things, I think the thing that like kind of snapped me out of it, aside from my daddy sending me scriptures and sending me different videos to watch every day just to keep me encouraged and to keep my mind right, um, I had made friends with this older guy. Um, and he couldn't he couldn't speak. He had a trach. And so he... he a trach, I think it's called a tracheotomy, right? Yeah. And he would speak with the thing that would make his voice sound like this. Yeah. And um, something, he came to my room. Um, I don't know why. I think I was just being nice to him one day when we were eating lunch or something. His bed and everything, his room wasn't set up. So I actually like brought him down to all the people, the coordinators who were there and like told them this is everything was going on. And one of the things that I remember about the place, well, they came up and they like set up his room. But one of the things that I do remember about the, about the place was that maintenance wouldn't come on the weekends. Mm. And so we had 45 men on the, on the floor and three toilets three sinks and three showers so toilets and stuff like on the weekends like you'd have to wait until monday (laughs) or yeah just yeah um but what i do remember was that my friend who couldn't speak he'd never close his door his door was always open and i remember one weekend his door was closed every day and come to find out he had uh overdosed Mm. And that was why I actually took my first overdose prevention class in a homeless shelter because of what had happened. And I think that was the point, like seeing those people who were like, this is is Whitney Wednesday. And they're like posters on the wall, like making this place feel like at home and it's not a temporary situation. Um, I was like, I can't. I can't be here. And so from there, I was calling every day. I would call every day to see where I can get an apartment, see how I can get out of this place because I knew I was going to be in school. Yeah. Um, um, but I needed to be, uh, like I was living, I was in, I was on the last stop on the E train Yeah. and my school is in the West village. That's like a two hour commute every day. I was like, I, I can't do this. So I, I think that was like the launching point, uh, whenever someone I'd known or met in the struggle in the dark place, he was gone. Hmm. And it was like, there were so many other people that were waiting. Like, this is, this was that, that was their reality. And I was just, that was the launching point that get, to get me out of the homeless shelter. And I knew I was going back into school, but I think that was it. Yeah. I almost wanted to say that, like, oh my God, a Whitney Wednesday, that sounds amazing. Like, yeah. where is this place? But as you continued the story, it made me realize, like, that is just masking the pain that's underneath, you know? Like, the reason that, why people may be there and you know it's it's good to find the light in the situations but to not see that as being a false light at the end of the tunnel you know what i mean like that there is always something more to strive for well i'm i'm glad that you got out of that situation Mm -hmm. and so you continued school yes i joined uh came back to the new school with the new class and that was just Another spiral right there. (laughs) (laughs) Drama school. (laughs) Drama school. So um, I came back into this new class. um, And before, uh, well, with this new class, everybody, the class I was in before, everyone was a little older. They had been out in the business. And I was on the younger side. Um, I was one of the, I think there were three of us that came straight out of undergrad that were that were in this graduate program and everybody else they were like working professionally and they they wanted to expand their craft. So coming from that class 
And then the new class that I was in, not only were they, the majority were straight out of undergrad, but um, on top of that, I think I was the only black male actor in that group. So it was another thing on top of a thing. Yeah. Um, and I could talk about the new school and the class and everything, but um, I, I think I learned a lot and I think I, uh, I learned a lot about support in my classmates as well, supporting me, especially on my journey. I think um, it was definitely an issue. My, um, my queerness and how I identify, it, it, it got in the way of my work at one point in time in school. One of my professors uh, basically told me that um, I was hiding who I was. And I'm not even going to lie, I really was. I was hiding who I really was. I think about Alice Walker and how she wrote the character of Mr. in The Color Purple who was just one thing. And that was all because that was all he was taught and that was all he was exposed to. And that was all I was bringing to all the male characters that I would that I would play, that I portray. I was just like this one hard exterior. And it's like, that's not who I am and that's not who anybody is. Nobody's all just one thing. No. And so I think um, that was also a time in my life where I was, I had not come into who that person was. They, they I played flute in Thisbe in Midsummer Night's Dream that same year. And I walked with, I worked with Stevie uh, our first year and I was literally in uh, this Amiri Baraka play and I was playing the latent homosexual side of this preacher and I was literally in a bottomless tutu for the entire performance. And it was, it was, it's always like those characters were in my wheelhouse, but it was like, whenever I would get a different character, they were like, where are the other colors that you brought to those other characters? Mm -hmm. This is just, one little shade of red and whenever you played the character that had the dress you brought like fluorescence and glitter and all these other things and it's like we want some of those character we want some of those colors and some of those nuances and we want to bring that into all of your other work so i think in graduate school um was whenever i was faced uh, or i had to face my queerness and i think being a part of a cohort and ensemble of classmates who supported that because I was other, I was the only black male in that class. And then just being the way that I was raised coming from the South and how I think black men are portrayed in the news and um, just how people are, people react to you in public sometimes. It was like I was very shut down and I was very controlled in how I interacted with my classmates as well. And they could see those things. And sometimes I would invite them into, I would invite them in, but I was never just out and open uh, and who I was. And I think that came early on with one of my classmates telling me that I was too much. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. But not. <laughs> For her. But yeah. That just means that she wasn't enough if I'm too much. And I think that's, that's one of the things I have Put to take with on. me. Okay. Because it's going to get real chilly and real shady out here. Yeah. Or it's going to get real bright. Like, I, I'm not dimming my shine for you. So if you can't handle it, there was a great YouTube video that was circulating of a woman saying, like, I'm not going to dim my brightness for you. Here's a pair of shades. Like, yes. here's a pair of sunglasses. You I can wear sunglasses. That. Did this go viral? Did I miss it? Somebody sent it to me. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Okay. But it's well worth the watch. Okay. I'm going to have to start carrying an extra pair <laughs> on me for the rest of these Seriously, girls. Seriously, and these are for you. Okay. Because <laughs> I have to be me authentically. Mm. Yeah. So you really found yourself, or you? it was the start of your discovery, because I feel like we're always finding ourselves mm -hmm. in every step of life um but this is perhaps like the first 
it was the first step in. Yeah, it was the first step. And I think um the way it was received, I think I it wasn't received with like uh, a shame or like keep that away or don't show that to anybody or they they were like thank you we've been waiting for you to let us know these things hmm. and i that was just such a relief and i, I i'm so grateful to uh my classmates and those professors that were there to who didn't they not only surrounded me because it was i kind of felt like i was being i feel very attacked yeah <laughs> I, I was being surrounded but uh, i also was being supported at the same time too so it was like i was able to like discern what i was feeling and I actually see what it was. See it, see it for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Graduate school. Graduate, graduate drama school. Graduate <laughs> Only, I feel like only in drama school would, like, your sexuality even be a thing on the table between you and your professors. Right. Because right? everywhere else it would be sexual harassment. It would okay. be like, why are you invested? Okay, like, girl, you are, you are not nobody's psychologist <laughs> up in here. Why are you worried about what's going on with me in this scene? Yeah. Now... I would love to, if you're willing, to talk about being a queer black man in America. What has been that experience? Sorry, that is a loaded-ass question, I realize, but I feel like there are a lot of people who listen who could definitely benefit from that perspective, myself included. What is it to be a queer black man in America? I just... It's very loaded. I'm just seeing. I'm just seeing. Like, it's no Russian roulette here. And podcast part two. <laughs> okay. Six hours later. Right. Um, let me see. I can. I can give you. I can give you points, and I can give you pieces of my experience. Yeah. Because I can't speak for every. Of course. Queer black man in America, because we all have very different experiences. Right. Um, and then I'm also a queer black man from the South, so I think that brings its own sort of things, especially coming to New York where this place is quote unquote liberal, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, um, I can say it's, it's a little, it's disheartening at times. Um, but it's beautiful at times too. I think it's beautiful the majority of the time and within the despair. Um, it's very, it's very heartbreaking and I'm just using words. I can give you, I don't, I don't want to say events or experiences. Um, I can give you those things. I guess I'm just trying to like hone it all in. It's entirely up to you. It's, it's what you are willing to share. Mm -hmm. And I fully recognize that like, it is a loaded question, mm. and I'm happy to hold space for you in whichever way that I can. Thank you. Of course. I wish you had sent me this last night. That way I, I could have had my talking points together. It but no, totally it's just dropped into my head based off of like where this conversation is going. And just wait for the other questions I have, oh, which are they're not. This is probably the most like overarching. How do you answer this in like what time we do have? The other ones are, I think. Mm-hmm. A little bit more digestible. Okay. Well, let me not let me not waste too much time. We don't want no, this to no, be no. the two-hour episode. Um, I say it's scary and it's beautiful yeah. because you think about um, situations like Paulson. I think about like uh, gay rights and civil rights, especially with uh, Stonewall that the uh, 50th anniversary we just had, um, and 
I also grew up in a different time where you had you kind of had to be in the closet. I was I grew up like these. I, I don't want to say like these kids, but I was like the word DL mm. is like a thing of the past, kind of sort of. And I grew up in a time when queer was slang. You know, oh, it's, yeah. it's it's a word of empowerment now, but um, just identifying as gay or lesbian, it was like that. There's nobody in my family who identifies that way, quote unquote. Um, even in high school, it was like social suicide, even to the point where we were in undergrad and like I met, we were talking about how I met my sailor scouts, my friends, uh, you know, who identified the same way that I did. And even, and even in those times where we would go out and be in public or we'd be amongst our other fraternity or other organization members and we had to like wear a mask. And I think that's where a lot of the fear and a lot of the shame that comes from, because that is where I come from, especially being from the South. And um, it's still scary because there are still these crimes that are being committed against gay men, black gay men, black men, just being black and like just the lack of justice that happens for them. Even Eric Garner, who was this black man who was uh, straight and had children, you know, and the police officers are not even the police officer is not he hasn't even lost his job there's not no repercussions that are be that are happening for that and you know those are the type of things is like and this man he was like living his life and these are the type of things that make me like question like do i want to wear a rainbow or mm-hmm. do i like put this rainbow button on or do i like like i feel like it puts a it, it puts a target on me sometimes where it should be seen as uh, a sign of, of comfort or a sign of love. And I think that's why it's scary because it, it's, it, to say we've come so far, we still haven't come far enough. Absolutely. And I say it's beautiful because the media. The <laughs> me- <laughs> you have to thank the media. Uh, do we though? But it's, I, I thank the media only because the media was not meant to be social. No, it, it, you're right. Absolutely. She was not meant to be social. The media was definitely meant to be controlled. And I think uh, because of social media and how um, the control was get, was taken away, um, how we're being, how being queer is being seen and how people are able to say how they really feel or take that power back and take their own, reclaim their own time, re, you know, retell yeah. their stories or like put out an iOS press release yeah. and let you know, <laughs> and let you know how they really feel about these situations where it was like, where you had a publicist or it was like the only thing, like I think about like, um, my, I think about this in New York too, just like how I think about like in all the movies, like certain people in New York are depicted a certain way. Whenever you come to New York, like you need to keep yourself like, I've never been pickpocketed here. Uh, like, I don't want to knock on wood. <laughs> you know, we're like, not calling that in. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not manifesting that in any type of way, but it's like you, like the things like people get pickpocketed in New York. You might get and those things do happen. Right. But it's just like how those things, how the media has ingrained them so much. Being a person who has lived in Louisiana my entire life and I've seen New York only in the media yeah. and how people, especially black people, have been depicted. And it's like, and I think about myself sometimes. I have to, like, one of the things I had to stop myself from doing is like, somebody might steal my phone. Or like, whenever I see other black people, you know, it's like, yeah. like thinking like something might happen to me. And it's like, no, they just live in their life. 
And it's like those are most some, most of the times the most helpful people. Whenever you need to go somewhere, they know exactly where they're going. People are just living their lives, right? And so I say the it, the beautiful part is like you see people like Billy Porter, um, who can go to the Oscars and wear this dress and be empowered and empower this younger generation who never had to go through these things. I see like the work on Pose and just like uh, Jordan Cooper, who was a classmate of mine. Shout out to Jordan Cooper who wrote Ain't No More, who was also a new school student. And just seeing how he was able to like come into his power and his writing power as every, you know, yeah. as well as Stevie Walker Webb, who was a, a black gay man and also a director, who was one of my classmates. It's just like I remember us having these conversations and how about being scared and how we still have to be brave at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I think the media, but I, uh, it's like a little seed. Yeah. But um, it's scary, and it's beautiful, and I have to be okay with that because that's what it is, and. Anything in I think anything in life worth having is it's gonna be scary. It's gonna be difficult. Yeah. And I want it's one of the things that I work towards is that for people to be themselves authentically. And being a black gay man, black queer man, it's scary. But you have to live yourself authentically. You have to be yourself authentically because the gifts and the blessings that you will be to somebody else, those are the things that you're working for. Those are the things that you are that you want to be visible for. Those are the things that you work for to give back. So it's hard, but it's beautiful because it's not just for me. That is so beautiful. I'm just like over here, like ridiculously smiling because that was so beautiful. Um, like you are only here to be your authentic self you know what i mean and to be anything other than that is you're robbing not only yourself but the world you know because as you said you don't you just don't know and what you were talking about about the media and how it was never meant to be social i never thought about it that way but it's like yeah we think of social media and all of the like negativity that comes from it nowadays Mm -hmm. you know like but it also goes to demonstrate that there is good in the bad right Mm -hmm. that things can serve a dual purpose in the sense of like it was something like youtube that allowed all of a sudden all these queer creators to have their own channels like i mean tyler oakley and um todrick hall todrick hall and like how many people have a platform because of social media with a massive following that have empowered these kids talk about the generation behind us to be out and expressive and live you know yeah. their innermost truth at a younger age than you and I were offered the ability to do so yeah you know and it's like yeah you again i loved the ios press release cuz it's so funny and true because that's social media but at the same point in time what it has opened the doors for you know mm-hmm. it's planted the seeds for it's planted the seeds for greatness but it's also planted the seeds for darkness too you know it's mm-hmm. pandora's box yeah. both things must exist within the same container mm-hmm. you know no one thing is all good and no one thing is all bad exactly there are good and bad aspects or light and shadow aspects to everything oh yes you know some might have more qualities of one than the other but that doesn't mean that 
I truly believe that everything serves its purpose in one way or another. Yeah. You know, coming back to Oprah, um, <laughs> what she was saying today is that even in the lessons that you or the experiences that are dark for you, mm. you still learn something. You learn that I never want to be in that position again. Or you learn that, like, that is not a part of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm making the active choice to do better or be better yes so i even think about that even in the dark places i think about seeds hmm. because seeds grow in the dark yeah butterflies you in a cocoon you don't they they are in complete darkness and it's completely still yeah like a lot of the best things happen in the darkness yeah it's like death death and rebirth but it is i'm just thinking sorry (laughs) i wish y'all could see my face i'm like one of those little squiggly face emojis like what what sorry that was like the the i don't know darker side of me being like yeah it's like death but it's true though like for i just imagine for that caterpillar while they're in there that it's like all of a sudden one day you're a caterpillar and then then i don't know what happens in a cocoon other than Darkness and stillness, and the next thing, they're a butterfly. Right. We're just going to cut that off. <laughs> Shut up, Nick. Oh, you're fine. I love it. Take your foot out of like, your mouth. Like, what is that? What is that caterpillar really doing in there? Right. Like, but it's sleeping, girl. But no, that's it really makes me think that it parallels this lifetime. You know what mm. I mean? Like, what happens after we leave? Like, our you know after the we leave the physical world that is a whole other conversation that we don't need to get into but but yes i love that too because in death it is it as we see it is it's a darkness because we don't know we don't know what comes after it yeah and it might be some I, i'm hope i believe that is something beautiful i believe it's a transformation i do too so yes okay are you ready for the other questions that i have you you know i'm ready <laughs> okay <laughs> what is one thing that PJ now would tell a nine-year-old version of himself. And I say nine years old, right? Because I think nine is probably about the age that we really come into ourselves. And then it is beyond that age that we begin to let societal pressures change who we are. And I feel like it's always a journey to come back to who we were at nine. I could be totally wrong about that. Um, But if there is an age that you would sort of send a love letter or an advice letter back to, what might you say? You know, nine-year-old PJ faced some some things, things that a nine-year-old probably should never have, have seen, some things that my parents don't even know. Um, and I'm... I'm thinking about, because, you know, we bonded over anime. Yes. That's one of the things that we bonded over. And I think about um, Dragon Ball Z came into my life at at that age as well, too. But I also I think about this character. It's called Naruto. Mm -hmm. And there's this one character on the show Naruto named Rock Lee. And Rock Lee, he like that. Then this is crazy because that this is the around the time that these kids go to ninja school too. They're around the age of nine, and this is whenever all their special abilities, like their taijutsu and their ninjutsu and all these other things, start to develop. And this character Rock Lee didn't 
he had like of the three categories genjutsu ninjutsu taijutsu rock lee wasn't skilled in ninjutsu or genjutsu that's like illusions and creating things mm. but and he was kind of okay in taijutsu and that's like physical mm. and i think about myself because i had great parents who told me that i was i could be anything i wanted to be every day but i think about the people that weren't my parents mm. and you know i only see them a little bit of that of my life when we're orbiting each other as we're in in life we orbit our parents with the rest of society and um hmm. i just wanted to fit in i just wanted to be accepted and i never was even like even even today even in 2019 with all that I I feel like I've accomplished, I'm still an outsider. But I got a lot of heart. And what I would tell my nine-year-old self is the same thing that Rock Lee was telling himself. I was literally like watching an episode of this the other day. And he was basically saying, I do all these things and I go through all this stuff and I train and I push and I keep going. And all this effort that I put is for nothing. Only if I don't believe in myself. And so I think I would tell nine-year-old PJ believe in yourself every day because the people that are looking at you and telling you that you're not and that you lack and that you won't and that you can't they can see something in you that you can't see in yourself and they want to stop it so I need you to believe in that yeah Sorry, I'm in here crying all no. over your mic and stuff. No. Thank you. Thank you. Truly. Thank you. Are you ready for the next question? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I promise you this was not the intention. It's just I love... You do have incredible heart and you have an incredible mind. And I love asking you questions and seeing how those two work together. Okay. Really? Last question. All right. Um, what would you like your legacy to be? What do you think your legacy will be? I think my legacy, it will be scary. And like I said, all of the beautiful things, because even on the path that I'm on right now, it scares me to think of what the next level could be or what, what the next couple of levels could be, because there's no, I don't, I don't have a rubric. Hmm. I know. Who does? Right. Who does? If you have one and you're listening to this, please call in. Call in. <laughs> please. Please. We're taking callers right now. <laughs> We're not. There's no live phone. I'm sorry. Um, but message in because if you have a plan for your life and it's all working out exactly as you thought it would, 
I would love to hear. Okay. Would you not? Okay, give me the blueprint, please. Yeah. Um, and when I think about my, I think about my, the, my dreams and the things that, not even like what the things that I want to accomplish, I think about just the, the things that come to me whenever I close my eyes and not, I'm not consciously thinking of them or making, this is what happens, what happens, what I see whenever I close my eyes, they, they are so scary because I don't know. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what that level will, will be. And I think that's what I, I want my I think that's what I want my legacy to be. I want it to be something that's untapped. Mm. Something that I never would have been able to imagine. And I and then also I want my legacy to be my village and my tribe. Um and that that those are like two different things as well. I think um my village is uh people that cultivated me and brought me to where I am and my my tribes are how I identify and the people that I the reasons why I do the things that I do for the youth for for HIV positive individuals for black gay men for queer anybody like marginalized communities people who who have voices and those voices are being stamped out uh I want to help elevate those voices I don't want to give them voices because everybody has their own voice already absolutely but I want to be a source of change in the village. And I want to set the bar. That was one of the things that I said in my uh, graduate uh, acceptance, that I want to set the bar for acting. I want to set the bar, and I want to change the standard of life of my village, and I want to set the bar in my career. That's what I want my legacy to be. May I offer you something? Of course. In order for you to have that legacy, to do the things that have been untapped, you have to live on the outside. You cannot be on the inside and do those things because the inside is the track that has already been run. You are on somebody else's track when you're on the inside. But when you're on the outside, you are carving your own path. Thank you. You just, just gave me. You just gave me something like, like everybody on the inside crowd. They all thinking the same. It's way. true. It's absolutely true. I connect with that and on such a deep level because I always wanted to fit into. And again, talking about 2019, I don't feel like I necessarily fit into any one specific group. You know. Yeah. Even embracing my own queerness, I don't necessarily feel like I fit in into what might be the the typical gay crowd exactly you know like i always and thinking of because you and i are are of a similar age and thinking of growing up and how queer really wasn't a word right if it was it was definitely more negative Mm -hmm. but it was never anything that was coming out of my mouth in reference to myself or anyone else of this community never and so now at this junction where there is a bit of a difference between gay and queer and i feel Mm -hmm. like queer is a little bit more encompassing and all-inclusive where gay feels very limiting and of a certain lifestyle and demographic and physical appearance and you know all Mm -hmm. of those things that i always imagined for myself wanting that community to be a part of it to belong to something Mm -hmm. but never actually feeling as if i've connected with it Mm. you know and so being as someone who relates on being an outsider. I love being on the outside. 
because you get a full sense of the picture because otherwise you're living in the painting and you can't really embrace everything for the full color that it is. You have to be on the outside to see what is going on to know how to change it. Yes, God. I'm here for all that. So, and the outside has changed the crowd. Yeah. You just keep doing you. Like, just keep being the source of light and love that you are. And thank you for being my friend. Thank you for allowing me to put you through all of these, like, tough questions. Because, like, I really put you through it in comparison to the, the folks that I've had um, on the show in the past but it just through conversations and learning uh about different people i just think it's so great to ask questions like this and really get a deeper sense of someone and thank you for sharing that with me and also everyone listening along so of course and thank you for being my friend one and it's crazy that like this thing that brought us together a whole year ago and it's like here we are Social media friends, and now we're friends in real IRL. IRL, uh, yeah, which means in real life, you guys. For all the slow, <laughs> for all the slow people who are a little bit older than us, because <laughs> yeah. you know, hey dad, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure mine will be listening to, hey daddy, yeah. Um, but uh, thank you for being such a source of inspiration. Like, I th- and I also think about those things too that come into into the spiral that come in and they latch on and they 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 are sources of inspiration and propel you forward pj where can we find more of you where can we follow you keep up with all the amazing stuff that you're doing uh well you can find me on pj johnny jr on everything that's my megan the stallion but um yes uh my instagram is pj johnny pj dot johnny dot jr um i also have a facebook actor page um my facebook is reserved only for the people that i meet in real life but uh, (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that because i'm like i don't know you otherwise it's like somebody from high school that you never got along and they're like friend request and you're like i'm like girl don't pretend don't let it's, it's 10 years now right like let's be real about the situation maybe you've changed but i still might hold a grudge no right. no, no no i'm just <laughs> i'm not also holding like, a grudge. why are we being fake exactly at this at this juncture right okay but um yes pj johnny jr on everything <laughs> great well pj thank you for being here and sharing as always i have been your host nick polifrone and if you would like to follow along with typed out you can do so typedout.co that is our instagram our website and much love to you always okay talk soon bye, bye.